This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forster, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. Man, I'm excited to share a friend with you today. I've been able to to hang out in Twitch and uh, Discord with Julian. And man, he has an amazing heart. His journey, his transformation, just what he invests in. You can go to TikTok and watch his videos or any of the social media platforms. The guy you see is the the real genuine guy. Um, He's had a heck of a journey. He's invested himself in the healing process. And, uh, you know, he's been featured in New York Times, uh, let's see, Newsweek, Bloomberg, and just he's open to sharing. And, you know, he's a real guy. So I'm excited to to share with you today, Julian Serafian. Julian, how are you doing today, my friend? Hey, I, I'm doing great, Mike. Thank you for having me. Hey. All right. If we could, can we start off talking today about where things are on the business side of life for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy, happy to. And uh, I'll try to make it short, but Lord knows the project list grows by the week. So uh, <laughs> right right now I'm doing a lot of things, wearing a lot of different hats. I, um, I'm an attorney by training, but I actually quit practicing law uh, and working at one of the big you know, Silicon Valley law firms last summer to explore my interest and focus mental health. So of course, mental health is my priority and managing that, but I'm advocating for mental health in every context I possibly can, you know, writing, podcasting, putting my voice on social media. I'm writing a book as well, just everywhere I possibly can go. Uh, I'm the CEO of a startup called Nest Mode. We're an e-commerce company. We're pre-launched right now, but our goal is to reinvent shower storage. And aside from that, I do occasional writing for American Lawyer, Bloomberg Law, and just various other publications out there, along with being a podcast guest on awesome shows uh, like yours. So a lot, a lot of different things. And, you know, I should add content creation is kind of its own sphere. So I stream on Twitch, which, you know, because we've hung out and I have a YouTube channel as well, where I talk about things in the legal profession and mental health and mentorship in general to get folks into law school as well. So a lot of things going on. Yeah. And you've created just and absolutely, man, hats off to you because it's like they're just the most welcoming, encouraging, and just supportive group that <laughs> has come around behind you and uh, watching them just interact and, and encourage and be there for each other is, is amazing, man. So congratulations, um, you know, for, for standing in the space to create that and then walking through it with those that are in the group. You've done a great job, man. And I'm, I'm super stoked to see what, what, uh, you know, is just being birthed there. <laughs> Thanks Mike. That, that means a lot. And honestly, I'm, I'm really grateful for, for everyone in our community who's joined from the very earliest days where I had no idea what I was doing on TikTok to, you know, <laughs> what it's become now. Um, it's wonderful. And I, I couldn't be where I am without them, honestly. So. Yeah. I feel you. What does life look like on the personal side for you? 
Uh, you know, I, I, uh, my, my personal side is demanding more of me, which I understand because I haven't really, uh, at least for myself, I should say, I've been spending time, quality time with my fiance, cat, been hanging out with my doggies, been cooking, all of that has been good, but doing my own sort of hobbies, you know, playing video games for five hours at a time, th- those things have not happened all too frequently lately. And I felt it, you know, I felt it because, uh, it's important to get your own downtime, just, just you. Uh, but that said, mental health has been good. It's been stable. It's been slowly, but surely improving month over month since I really started the journey December, 2020. So we're about 15, 16 months in now and it's going smoothly still. Um, there are, there are many periods where I'll fall back in old habits and I'm still working on many of them, but overall, I think it's, it's in good shape. It's certainly the best shape it's ever been, but that's not to say that it's perfect because there's no such thing. And also because I was certainly not in a great place before. So, well, and do you think, think that people that are healing, you know, like they're on that journey, do they go through that same kind of almost dance where it's like, you have to assess and then kind of fall back into patterns. And do you see that with other, other folks that are in mental health that are going through that journey? Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be a lifelong battle, no matter what, we say or do and those who we look at who we consider enlightened or like they have reached the pinnacle etc cetera, etc cetera. like to some extent i understand there's the idea that these folks have everything under control and and to some extent that's probably true but at the same time there's a lot of work that they're continuing to put into their practice that we probably don't even see and i do think that for folks who are working on mental we all need to remember that it's it's just something we're going to need to learn and iterate on forever. I mean, we change as individuals, the world around us changes. What works for us today, this week is not going to work a year from now. And what works a year from now is not going to work a year from then. And in all of that, there's going to be moments where we stumble. There's going to be moments where we fall back in old habits that are destructive, or we end up being the toxic one in a relationship. And I think it's more important than ever that in those times we we show ourselves the compassion to accept that we made a mistake or that we, you know, could have done better, learn from it and move on. Because uh, otherwise we're just going to trap ourselves in a downward spiral. Yeah. And do you have people around you that are also kind of like observant, almost, I wouldn't say like accountability partners, but just friends or family that are kind of keeping an eye and they know the real you and will will call into question when they see things that might not be normal? Yes, certainly. Kat, Kat is the first one and she has no problem calling me out on it when she thinks <laughs> that I'm overworking myself. Uh, but even, even folks in our community can tell, I mean, they can feel it when I'm on camera on Twitch and I'm just out of it. Right. Or some of my closest friends here and my parents also can just kind of see where my head is most of the time. Um, so I'm grateful, you know, very grateful that they hold me accountable. Whether I listen, that's a totally separate thing. And I'm working on that for sure. Right. But to the extent other people can help, they are, they're doing everything they can. Wait a minute. Sometimes we don't listen to the people right. that are trying to help us. I mean, right. really? Right. Stubbornness, blessing and a curse, right? That's what they say. Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> exactly. Well, if we can, can we go back and kind of go over you know, like your journey, how you were going through school and some of the, 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 the way stuff was like manifesting, but wasn't, um, understood at that time. Can we jump back to that? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. So 
if you rewind my academic career, I was valedictorian of high school. I graduated Berkeley in three years, went on to law school at Harvard, right? All great. That's fine. Woohoo, fancy. But there's another side of the story that you don't really see in the resume. High school, I had stomach aches that were induced by the stress of SAT prep. And at the time it was, oh, stomach aches, go to the doctor. They gave you anti-acid medication. Awesome. Move on. You get to college and I have really, really bad social anxiety, but I don't even know that it's social anxiety because I just don't know that that's a thing. I, I assume wrongly that everyone around me has these crazy level of intrusive thoughts and self-doubt all the time. Makes it hard to socialize. And then at the end of college, I started getting the sensation of gagging as if I'm going to throw up. So I go over to the sink and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to throw up. Like, this is what happens in the movies, right? If people feel sick, they go throw up. Nothing comes out and it basically takes over my life. Six months are spent of just getting every medical test procedure done possible at the time, not every single one done, but I had an endoscopy done where I went under anesthesia the whole time. I'm trying to figure out what's going on with my stomach, right? It's my stomach that's causing these issues. So five years would go by until I finally explored and accepted that this was maybe something that was stress-related and not a purely stomach physiological issue. Once I accepted that it was stress that was inducing the issues and I learned to manage my stressors, thankfully the issues fell away. Uh, but you fast forward into the pandemic and I did not have the anxiety under control at all. And combine that with the big law hours, the lack of boundaries, the isolation, the collective trauma from the pandemic and the anxiety turned into depression. The depression eventually became fleeting suicidal ideation. And those were kind of the, that period was when I really decided I needed to, I needed to take this journey a lot more seriously mental health wise because I had reached the end of the road for the previous ideology that I had held. And there was nothing there. And when you mentioned social anxiety, what does that look like? Um, you know, what is it like both internally and externally as far as experiencing that? Yeah. It, you know, it's different for everyone. For me, it was mainly just being very, just overthinking myself a lot in terms of just things I would say, I would just get in my own head about maybe I should say this, maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should say this, maybe I shouldn't, or oh, did this thing piss somebody off, right? Just like irrational levels of doubt. Uh, that was on the inside. And on the outside, what it would end up looking like is I would just be much more quiet because I'd be very, very careful with what I would say and how I would engage. And nothing wrong with that, right? I wouldn't make a bad impression, but I wouldn't connect with people at the same time. So did the social anxiety transform into a different type of anxiety or did it just become more pronounced as things went? I think ironically, the social anxiety fell away in my mid twenties, but the anxiety itself very much stayed and it manifested in these sorts of physical symptoms and just crazy levels of stress and intrusive thinking. Uh, and, and during the pandemic, those were the things that went rampant and mismanaged, no stress management, no, no management of all of these layers of irrational thought patterns. Uh, and you, you, you put that recipe together with somebody who's stuck in a condo. I'm lucky to be stuck in a condo for the record. I'm not on the front lines because whatever I was, you know, at the time attorney working behind the desk, but still the isolation is not healthy. And, um, you put all that together and it's a recipe for mental health issues. And that's what we got. You, it's not like you withdrew and didn't pursue to figure out what's going on. I mean, you went to the doctors and. You're like, you know, throwing up, feeling like you've got to throw up and get sick. 
what what changed that it was actually like hey this is the problem this is what i need to address i mean like when did things actually come to light that what was at the root of the problem yeah i th- there was a distinct moment the first year i was working in my job that i felt like stress had picked up and for the first time this sort of gagging sensation which i had under control for the most part uh, suddenly it flared up again and in a way that it had not been that bad in years and i'm sitting there and i'm like okay the only thing that has really changed are my levels of stress because of my job and traveling back and forth on the weekends and whatnot and i went back into the the medical uh, system and i was seeing a gi specialist and i said okay here's what's going on. They said, okay, well, we can do another endoscopy. We could put you on different medications. What do you want to do? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I've been down this road before. Like, I know how this is going to end. They're going to do the test. on. I'm going to go under anesthesia. And then at the end, they're going to be like, yeah, you seem healthy. It's all good. And that was when I really decided along with the support and really folks pushing me, including my parents, uh, to just take the stress idea more seriously and really evaluate if I was actually doing a good job. So had it been presented as far as, hey, it could be stress-induced, was that something that people were saying to you before? It it certainly was. It was mentioned. I would say that it was more of a side conversation than the main conversation in the medical system. The, the, the main conversation was, okay, here are the symptoms. Let's try X, Y, or Z. X, Y, or Z being medication this, procedure that. A combination of this at, at the side, there was this suggestion that, yeah, you know, and maybe explore stress or whatnot, um, which is good. Right. And I think that's awesome. But, uh, you know, frankly, I would have think I, I would have been elated if someone had sat me down and be like, yeah, I know what you have. It's called severe anxiety. Get over it, dude. Like, let's, you know, like maybe not in those words, so to speak, but, but certainly, you know, uh, a strong nudge in the direction of mental health, as opposed to channeling us forward through the medical system by way of phys- physiological uh, solutions. What was your thought with those side conversations? I mean, did, did you see it as having credibility or was it like, yeah, whatever, stress isn't going to impact me in this way? Yeah, I certainly underestimated my own ability to manage stress. So when the doctors would mention it, yeah, part of me was like, you know, I get it, but I'm not that stressed. Like I can, I can tell, right. Uh, You combine that with their sort of focus on pushing the physiological based solutions. And I just wasn't really thinking about it when I left the office, when I left the office, I was like, oh yeah, they said that, but, but now we're doing this for the medication. So that's what I'm going to put my eggs in as far as baskets go. Hi, coach Mike here. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Living Fearless Today podcast. Man, if you're struggling with your worth, feeling you're not enough and playing small, honestly, this isn't your lot in life. There is more available to you beyond this podcast to help you uncover your worth, feel respected, be confident, and play bigger in all areas of your life. Grab a time at highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call to set up a complimentary session on where you're at today, who you want to be, and how you can live the life you've been desiring. Again, head on over to highcoachmike.com forward slash book a call and take that first step towards your life transformation. So in hindsight, looking back, do you do you think it was just like the high stress level became so normative? It was almost like 
you couldn't register it. It was expected like this is just everyday life. This is what everybody feels. Yes. I think my tolerance is totally messed up for it, for sure. Yes. Uh, that, that That's certainly part of it. Um, honestly, I think I, I think I also misunderstood anxiety because I do think there's a distinction. Stress can come and go. And I understood that when I was younger, I had, I'd have an exam, I'd get stressed, I'd take it, I'd feel better, right? It, it, it ebbs and flows, but anxiety is its own level of gamesmanship that you need to play with your own mind, right? To get rid of all, you know, not get rid of, but manage a lot of intrusive thoughts and like break out of bad habits. And those I had no idea were afflicting me. So I think really it's a combination uh, because I do think that if I had managed my stressors more properly, I would have felt better, but it wouldn't have removed all of these layers of messed up thinking that the anxiety had already entrenched. And those were bound to create problems no matter what in the long term. So if you were looking at me in, in your position at that age, you know, those kind of situations, how would you say, hey, Mike, you can, you know, determine if you're stressed out, if this is an issue, like to be more aware of what's going on? Like, what are some signs that I could look at to, to figure this out? Yeah. I mean, generally sense of stress, you know, fulfillment in life is the first one I always look at, but not just for stress, but mental in general and anxiety in general as well. If you're not feeling fulfilled or happy in general, something's, something's off. Right. But on top of that, if you aren't exercising regularly, if you aren't sleeping well, if your fundamentals of mental in general are down, uh, I would be concerned. Then I would just ask yourself, honestly, do you have, is there something that's stressing you out? Let's look at your schedule in your day to day. Like what's going on? If, if, if it's stressed, it's most likely the case that something down there is going on. Um, and, and I, you know, it's, <laughs> there's no silver bullet. I would, I would basically challenge you to explore it as much as you can with an open mind, which is not a easier, it's easier said than done, but it needs to be done. So when you came to this realization, how did it, how did that knowledge, that awareness impact you know, being a lawyer, I mean, you're, we're still in the pandemic, you're working from home. So you're isolated. You're still in the midst of everything. How did, how did you move from there? Yeah, I, it, uh, it, it began as more of a fleeting level of thinking of, okay, maybe as crazy as it sounds like I can leave this job and do something else. I didn't really know what I wanted to do next. I had planned on staying in big law for a long time, at least four to five years, make the big bucks as a mid-level associate. Uh, but I'm sitting there and like, this is not sustainable. So, so something's going to have to give and what is going to give? Well, let me see what other job opportunities are out there in-house, for example. So I looked at positions at these companies and I applied to a couple. I'm like, wow, this feels really freeing, even just applying, letting myself know there's something else out there, right? Didn't pan out in part because the pandemic was incredibly competitive for folks leaving big law because everyone and their mom was getting out of big law. And, um, you know, you fast forward a few months and I sit there and I realize quitting may be literally my only going forward option here for what I want out of life right now, which is to work on my mental and explore what else is out there besides this current state of play, which let's be honest, it's a transaction to earn money. I put in this much hours, energy, time for your firm. Your firm pays me X amount of dollars per year. That's it. I mean, but that, beyond that, and I get it. That's a very important. Money's powerful. All that is true. But 
was it worth the toll it was taking on my mental and holding, was it holding me back as well just by virtue of how much energy it was taking? Yeah. Um, so it wasn't easy, but I felt like at, at the time it was the only right decision to make for what I wanted. No, I feel you. And with, it almost sounds like there's this like mass exodus from, from big law. Like yeah, was the reasoning, have you talked to other people and found out like the reasoning was oh, yeah. the same as yours? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, it was probably three months into the pandemic when I felt that our firm and the whole industry was undergoing a deep, deep sense of mental health despair. And I, and I mean, the, to the level that it, it was almost a universally known fact amongst every attorney that everyone was miserable. That was just it. It was just, it was just a, like, you picked up the phone and it's like, you know, the other person's miserable. They know you're miserable. Okay. They'll like, like, let's just like get over this together. And it, 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 it certainly was not just my firm. My firm, I think actually is my old firm, I should say, is one of the most progressive by way of culture and like connectedness and transparency. Uh, but no, it's everywhere. You know, and I've spoken with friends of mine, attorneys across the board, senior, junior, you name it. Uh, it's only continued since uh, I quit in, in 2021. Uh, and, and I don't see it slowing down anytime soon because leadership doesn't really know what to do, or maybe they do know. And they're unwilling to because they're either not innovative enough or incompetent. Their choice, I'm not really one to comment. I'm not in the leadership chain, uh, but I can tell you it has not slowed down. It's a tough place. Yeah. So when you made that decision, hey, I'm investing in myself. I'm making a call that that works out best for me. Like what, what was your path from there? What did you do to to say, yeah, I'm actually going to you know, not look at the medication, not look at the surgery, but I'm going to look at something to help me with my mental health. What did, what did that path look like? Yeah. So when I decided and came to the conclusion, okay, I like this, this isn't working. I let me get checked. This is the middle pandemic is we're December, 2020. I essentially turned myself over to mental health services. And I'm like, you tell me, like, I have clearly I have no idea what I'm doing here. So yeah, I'm going to fill out the questionnaire, <laughs> take my information, spit out the formula that you think will work for me. And, you know, it, it, it was, it was therapy, journaling, meditation, uh, eventually medications, which I was resistant to at first, but eventually was more open to. And I'm very glad I did because it's a very helpful tool. It's not a fix it pill. It's a tool <laughs> to be very clear. Um, but it, for me, it was everything. I literally threw everything at it. I started educating myself on it. I read books. I read articles. I talked to folks who've experienced similar things. Uh, and I put in the work that my therapists and I talked about every single week, whatever it was, journaling, deep breathing, meditation, calling people, walks outside, whatever it was, uh, I was committed to it. It really is a grind like anything else. It's, it feels weird calling it a mental health grind, but that's honestly what I call it nowadays. Sometimes you just need to grind on mental for an hour, which ironically means not grind on anything and sitting there meditating. But you know that, listen, that's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's intentional, how, it's how man. I mean, the, yeah, right. You know, it's like, we don't just get there overnight. It's, yeah. it's been a journey. It's, it's, you know, it's had time to get us to the place and it takes time to get back out of there. If we're not intentional, we don't, you know, like you're calling it, if we don't grind out of it, cause it is work, it's an investment. Yeah. Um, we're going to stay in that same place. Um, yeah. when you were filling out that questionnaire, I mean, were you open or did you hold stuff back or how did you? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I think that we have a tendency to always underestimate 
all of the sort of things we are, it's, this is the stigma again, right? It's like, oh, how often do I really worry? Yeah, like twice a week. I'm like worrying every, like 50 times a minute. I'm like, no, like twice a week, twice a week. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, that, that's how I used to do it. You know, I think because I don't really have an excuse. Stigma, immaturity, naivete, right? Uh, but this time I did not. I was very honest, very honest. I was like, yeah, I think this one. I genuinely believe it's this one. Uh, and then I got the diagnosis of severe anxiety and mild depression. And I'm like, well then, okay. Now I know what I'm working with. So here we go. <laughs> um, Did your friends and family react? Did they believe it or they were kind of like, no, this is wrong. We got to go back to the medical side. No, they, they, I mean, I think to some folks it came as somewhat of a surprise, mainly because I think, it, I think the stigma is so attached to these phrases that they're like, okay, like you're anxious, but like, like it's, it's, I think tough to wrap up, you know, it just sounds so bad, severe. Like that sounds severe. I mean, that's like, it right. sounds magnitudes of difference, like a very bad, right? Whatever. Um, but, but they, they came around eventually. And I think it, honestly, it's more from a point of concern that I, that a lot of their behavior towards me was, was slated in that sort of, maybe we should try this or are we sure, should we, you know, explore maybe a different physician because once they saw what I was really doing and practicing and where it was leading me, I never really got any sense of resistance anymore. And once I started acting much more casual about it, because that's personally how I've always felt about it since I found out, um, I think they also realize it's not that big of a deal. Let's move on. And, um, and that's kind of that, at and least around it, me. <laughs> is that kind of their reaction now is like they see the difference. And so where they may have been concerned and like naysayers before now, they're 100% behind it or? I think that's right. Also, I think mental health is it's we have so many ideas that we put under that umbrella. And though a lot of my growth in the past call it year and a half has been from managing the anxiety and learning how to better, you know, contextualize my habits and practice them, there's also a lot of things that I've been doing developmentally that are just a lot more mature and you know, taking myself more seriously, holding myself more accountable, things that like have less to do with mental health and more to do with just personal and human development um, that, that I'm able to do now because I'm managing the anxiety to be clear, because when I, when I wasn't, I wasn't able to adequately do it. So, so yeah, they, they're, they're very supportive and they understand. I think that it's really something, even if they don't, they don't understand it, they have to trust my ability to understand it and my ability to manage it because they're not in my head and I am. So they can't really do anything but take my word for it. Um, yeah. But I'm glad people aren't in my head. I'll tell you that, but <laughs> that'd be a whole nother Same. ride. Same. <laughs> um, so as you were getting, you know, the, the mental health, you know, you're getting counseling, you're doing these activities, exercises. Did you see a change in your relationship with like cat, your parents, your friends were, were things um, shifting at all around you? Yeah, listen, every single relationship improved when my mental health improved. Just in, in ways that like some of them I thought were fine, they just got better. And and some that maybe need a little bit of help got the help they needed. My communicative ability, which is probably the biggest difference, changed, right? My ability to actually say, no, I don't want this or I want this. Uh, or, you know, I'm I'm going to set a boundary and not hang out right now because I don't feel like it. And now I'm going to have more fun with this person when I see them and the relationship will improve by extension. Um, it, it all, it all improves across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And that's usually the uh, response that I hear from most people and what I've experienced as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
so you you had said you know like you're being told different things to do you know that that uh were helping you along the way what are like two or three things that you've you've seen the most change or benefit from um you know since you started going to counseling and and maybe you're still even utilizing today yeah i i mean it's the basics have really done wonders for me and when I say the basics, I mean, the f- first one is deep breathing, just like any time I can, even on this podcast earlier when I'm talking, I remember I will take a deep breath because I, at least for me, I have not conditioned myself to breathe properly and I breathe incredibly shallow breaths and it's just not good for my thought processes and oxygenating the brain, et cetera, et cetera. So as often as I can, I'll take as many deep breaths as I can. And it helps ground me and slow my thinking. And the other, the other aspect is journaling. Um, for me being out of touch for so long, it was almost impossible at the beginning to even discern how I felt about what it was so confusing. Uh, I was like, what does this one do? What does this one do? I don't know. Is it sadness? I don't know. You tell me, but there's no one answer. So, okay. Journaling helped me kind of figure out and unpack that. And it still does, especially in moments when I feel overwhelmed in one direction emotionally, be it positive or negative, right? It helps me kind of channel that in a way that's productive and not let it seep into other relationships out there. Um, has reading been something that you've done to kind of get new ideas or expand expand upon your your thinking? Yeah, absolutely. I um, medium, which I don't know if you're aware or, or folks who are listening, medium is essentially this. It's like a blogging website; like anyone can publish on it. There's a lot of really good stuff on there. People, it's basically the marketplace right now of competitive ideas in writing one of them, I should say. And because of that, and also because it's an algorithm and it's going to learn what you like, you, after using it for a little bit, it's the, it's the for you page of written content. And you'll get a lot of really, really good perspective from there that just, you don't really get that level of idea generation from any one book. That said, I do love books as well. And you know, maybe you should talk to someone by Lori Gottlieb, a renowned psychotherapist who talks about her own experience going through her mental health journey. Also very eye-opening you know, to see her perspective as a therapist going through the process herself, uh, very humanizing as well. So yeah, that's cool. Reading is helpful. And so are you publishing to medium, like your experiences and like what you're finding out as well? Less occasionally than I used to. When I first quit my job, I was publishing pretty often once to twice a week, but I sort of was at the time when I began advocating, that was the first way I was doing it. I was writing. Um, I found that it wasn't very effective at reaching people simply because I'm a nobody on medium and uh, you know, I'm not going to predict the algorithm. I get it right. Like I'm new. Like I only did it for two weeks. I'm not you know going to go super viral or whatever, but in any event, I uh, I've shifted since then towards of course, content creation and TikTok and Twitch and more, uh, you know, camera friendly, I, I suppose, uh, mediums of communication. Uh, but occasionally I will write on medium and publish there. Yeah. What's your uh, favorite thing that you're doing in the content creation space? Oh, it's got to be Twitch. I love Twitch. Twitch is the most fun. Twitch as a creator, Twitch as a community, and not really as a platform because like it could be better. I, I won't lie. But as a community building tool and as a creator, it's just the most authentic, real, genuine, and creative tool that I have. Um, you know, it lets me reach my people, lets my people reach me. There's no censoring. There's no algorithmic sequencing getting in the way. And, uh, of course we can play games. We can do all sorts of stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh game night 
It's so fun. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know. <laughs> yep. Well, Julian, man, thank you for coming and joining me and being like open and honest about what you've gone through, what you've learned, just the journey, because there is that stigma with mental health and, you know, saying, oh my gosh, I, I need help with, I appreciate you just being so open and vulnerable and, and sharing the journey. So thank you, my friend for, uh, for, you know, just coming and being in, an encouragement, um, in this space. Um, so for people reaching out to you, what's the best way to connect with you outside of the podcast? Yeah. W- would love any and all folks to join our TikTok community. Join us on Vibely. We just recently launched a community on Vibely where we're all working on our all together and we're a team and it's awesome. Uh, all of the links are in my beacons link, which Mike, I think will link down below. Absolutely. But if you want to reach me and my team, you can also email us at team at julianserafian.com. Cool. Julian, thank you, my friend. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me, Mike. My pleasure. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.